Once again, it is a joy and a delight to be back with you. We did miss you. We thank you again for that time you provided for us. We're grateful for uh, the men who were able to come and fill the pulpit and preach the word of God while we were gone. Uh, and at this point, as I return, I'm not yet ready to, uh, to jump into a new series through an entire book of the Bible. That's our normal practice here. And, and part of that, I was just thinking, with near the end of the summer and, and people gone, I like to wait till the start of the fall to begin something new. So that's my plan, uh, to, to wait until the fall to start a new series through a book of the Bible. I'm still praying about which book that might be. I do have uh, an idea. I pretty much know what I, I'm going to do, I think. I just don't want to say it because then I'm committed. So you can pray about it. Um, but so for the next six weeks, Lord willing, we'll have kind of this interlude series on various psalms. Now, the last time that we did this in the morning was six years ago, the summer of 2016. Colin did just finish a series in the evening service through the last five psalms, Psalm 146 through 150. So we won't be looking at those, but we'll take six weeks to look at various psalms. And to set us up for this series, I want to share with you one approach to the psalms. It comes from Mark Vitato in his book, Joy Comes with the Morning. We know, uh, maybe you've heard of the psalms referred to as the songbook or the hymn book for the people of God. And these songs can be divided into what we might call the big two, happy songs and sad songs. The happy songs can then be divided into two categories, two distinct categories. You have songs of praise. These are happy songs with no personal trouble in view. So songs of praise, happy songs, no personal trouble in view, but then also songs of thanksgiving. And these are happy songs that express joy because of deliverance from some trouble in the recent past. So those are two distinct categories from the happy songs. And then you have these sad songs. They're also known as songs of lament, sad songs with trouble in view. So that's one way to think about the psalms and a big generalization. Another way to think about these three types of songs is to see the songs of praise as songs of orientation. These are foundational truths about God and about ourselves that help us make sense of life. And then the songs of lament can be seen as songs of disorientation. It's the sorrow that we experience or that we feel when life doesn't make sense. And then third, you have the songs of thanksgiving. You can think of those as songs of reorientation. It's the thanksgiving that we give to God as a result of his faithfulness. When we experience it in our lives in the midst of our times of trouble and he lifts our lives out of the pit. So those three different categories. In our six-week study, we will plan to look at two psalms from each section. So the first two weeks, we'll look at two songs of praise. The next two weeks, two songs of lament. And then the final two weeks, two songs of thanksgiving. But today we begin with Psalm 100, a psalm of praise. And the main idea from Psalm 100 is this. God's people praise and enjoy and give thanks to God, their creator and redeemer, For he is good. This is a song of orientation. A foundational truth for the people of God. God's people praise and enjoy and give thanks to God, their creator and redeemer, for he is good. This is true for all God's people. In all times and places, it is foundational truth to orient your life around. This is what Christians do. They praise and enjoy and give thanks to God. This normally and consistently marks the lives of believers. And if it doesn't, then something is off. 
This is a song of praise, a song of orientation. It's laying the groundwork for how life is designed for the believer. And so if, if your life today doesn't line up with this psalm, then you'll have a sense of disorientation in your life. As if you just stepped off the spinning ride at the amusement park and you can't walk straight. It takes a moment to, to get your bearings, to recover. Now this happens often in our lives because life doesn't always go the way it's designed, the way that we expect, the way we desire. But today, if you know and love Jesus and your life is not filled with praise and enjoyment and thanksgiving to God, then something is off. It could be due to suffering. It could be due to sin. Or it even could be due to self-sufficiency. And if that's the case, there's a remedy for your experience. We'll come back to that later at the end this morning. But Psalm 100 proclaims to us as the people of God, God's people, praise and enjoy and give thanks to their God. He's their creator and their redeemer and he is good. Now in this Psalm, there are six commands directing us to do this, to praise and enjoy and give thanks to God. And then there are also these foundational truths about God that provide the reason or the basis for these commands. And it's this truth about God that is revealed to us in Psalm 100 that will shape our affections and then it will come out in our actions. So verses one and two give us three commands. And then in verse three, we have some reasons for those commands. And then verse four gives us three more commands. And then verse five gives us some further reasons. So we'll work our way through the Psalm that we might orient our lives today around this great God. We'll start with verse one, this first command. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The word for joyful noise in the Hebrew, which is the original language of the Old Testament that it was written in, that word is actually one word, and it means a loud shout. A loud shout. It's the kind of word, it's the word that's used to refer to uh, the kind of outburst that a happy people might make on the return or the entrance of their beloved king. So, for example, 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 24, when Saul was anointed king, Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the peoples. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. That same word for joyful noise is used throughout Joshua chapter 6. Do you remember what happened in Joshua chapter 6? God's people are marching around the walls of Jericho and the walls come crashing down. And verse 16 says, At the seventh time as they're marching around, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout. There's that word for joyful noise. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 20, So the people shouted, And the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. There's that word over and over again for joyful noise. Again, the same word is used in 1 Samuel 4. God's people, the Israelites, have been defeated by the Philistines, and they're distraught. And they realize we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence representing the presence of God. And verse 5 says, As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, All Israel gave a mighty shout so that all the earth resounded. A shout so loud that the earth shakes. We actually proclaim this word 
to begin our service today from Psalm 66, verse 1. Shout for joy to God all the earth. So that's make a joyful noise. This is what it's saying. This, it's his emphasis on gladness, a, a great act of celebration, a glad, almost spontaneous outburst of praise to God for how good, for how great he is. And the psalmist is saying here that when we praise God, yes, there's a joy, there's a gladness, but there's also even a volume that is appropriate, that is fitting for who God is. So we might say this is a case for loud joyous singing. Now I wonder how often do we do that? Some of you might say, well, every week we do it here as we gather for worship. I guess we could debate how loud our singing would be. We acknowledge, well, acoustics might not be the best here. That could be one factor. But maybe another factor is the stereotype for Presbyterians, right? We are the frozen chosen. And I don't know if you can see, but this, this is typically, if at all we raise our hands, it's like this. You know, I admit I've done that. We're a little self-conscious about our acts when we gather to worship. But I'm often, I, I wonder how often do we gather together and sing praises to God, and do we determine whether or not we'll sing at all, or how loudly we will sing more based upon what created beings around us will think than about the glory of our almighty God. I know I've done that often. Rich Mullins, some of you might remember that name. He wrote many songs of praise in the 80s. He's now with Jesus. But one of his songs is called If I Stand. And it has this phrase in it. If I sing, let me sing for the joy that has borne in me these songs. And I often will remember that line and pray it even as I'm singing in gathered worship. I actually just did it again this morning because I'll be convicted that I'm more concerned about what people think than about the joy I have from who God is. That, that gives me the reason for singing. So why do we sing? There's a joy that God Almighty has put in our hearts because of who he is and what he's done for us. You know, one pastor in commenting on this passage, make a joyful noise, a loud shout. He cried out, how dare we, how dare we let football fans or soccer fans, or maybe we would add groupies at a rock concert. How, we, how dare we allow them to sing more vociferously than the redeemed children of God, amen? Hmm. Remember, you said amen. Now, I am sure, I'm sure some of you have sung and shouted with more enthusiasm and more volume at a concert or a sporting event than you ever have in praise to God. I know I have. I know you Penn State fans have. I know if you've been at the games, maybe it was a whiteout, either you were there in person or you watched it on TV, and the music starts playing, Sweet Caroline, Good times never seem so good. I know you're yelling out, so good, so good, so good. You've done that. You have shouted loudly with joy until Michigan beats you and then you don't go home so happy. Now you knew that was coming, right? You knew that was coming. Beloved, we, the people of God, we have a much more profound and deep and lasting reason to shout for joy 
than what some college kids do with a little ball. We do. We have this lasting reason. Beloved, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Now we're getting into the reasons. We'll come back to that. But for now, this first command, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. All peoples, all creation, God is worthy of even our loud praise. Our enthusiastic, wholehearted, zealous response of praise. Let's move on to the second command, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now that word for serve can also mean worship. And here at Proclamation, sometimes we speak of both gathered worship and scattered worship. And, And the point is we want to make sure you realize that all of life is worship of our holy God. Not simply once a week here on a Sunday morning, but all of life. Worship to God and also can be given in service to others. So, so gathered worship, that's what we do here on the Lord's Day. We're doing it right now as we gather together. And then scattered worship is what we do when the service ends and we go our separate ways. We, we scatter throughout Lancaster County and beyond. And our worship, our service does not end. It extends to wherever we go. And we are to serve, to worship the Lord with gladness. Yes, as we worship together, but also as we go about our daily lives, loving God supremely, loving our neighbors as ourselves, walking in humble obedience to our God. Serve the Lord with gladness. And then verse 2 also has the third command, come into his presence with singing. Now this is one of the reasons that we sing together in gathered worship, because we are commanded to do so. So as we sing together, we are obeying God. We are glorifying our Father in heaven. But notice the command, the invitation that we have here. Come. Come into his presence. God himself invites us in. God Almighty. He is present. He is here with us right now. He delights in his people and he calls us to delight in him. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, he wrote to comfort God's people. To comfort us as we think about those that we love in Christ, who have died, who have been called home. And he he says, do not grieve as others do who have no hope. And what is our hope? In that passage, he says that we and all of God's people, we will always be with the Lord with the Lord, in the presence of the Lord. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. This foundational truth, the comfort and the joy of God's presence. And here, while we live, it leads to singing. That's why sometimes we'll say, as we gather for worship, welcome to the best place to be on the best day of the week. Why do we say that? Because God himself is here. We draw near to God and he draws near to us. We need him and here we meet him, we find him. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. These first three commands and now verse three gives us the reason. What we are to know. 
that will compel our obedience to these commands. Verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, when the psalmist says to know, it's not simply to learn or even to understand, but it's to consider, to acknowledge, to let these foundational truths impact your life. So consider, acknowledge these truths of verse 3. God is our king. He is our creator. He is our savior. Consider and acknowledge the Lord Yahweh is God. He reigns over all. He is the king. And it is he who made us. He is our creator. Augustine commented on this passage and he he read this and he asked the question, but what is my God? I put my question to the earth. It answered, I am not God. And all things on earth, all creation declared the same. So you can picture Augustine putting the question to all created things. Are you my God? I am not my God. It, it reminds me of that children's book. I don't know if any of you have it or have read it. It's uh, a little board book called Are You My Mother? And the story is this little baby bird gets separated from the mama bird. Falls, falls down out of the nest. Can't fly yet and begins walking around to all these different animals and, and things that it finds. It walks up to a kitten. Are you my mother? I'm not your mother. Walks up to a hen. Are you my mother? I'm not your mother. Walks up to a dog. Are you my mother? I'm a dog. I'm not your mother. And on all these different things, a car, a boat, a plane, and finally this, this excavator, this big piece of construction equipment. Are you my mother? And it, it scoops up the little bird and, and drops it back in the nest just as the mother returns. Ah, you're my mother. And there's this big, nice, happy ending. But you know, we do that, don't we? We look around at all that God has created. And we wouldn't say it this way, but this is what we're doing. We're asking, are you my God? Are you my God? And we treat them as if they are our God. But if they could answer and they would answer honestly, they all would say, no, I am not your God. I am simply a created sinful human being or I'm money and I'll pass away or I'm declining health or I'm a man-made object, I'll rot and rust or I'm simply a passing pleasure. But you know, we, we read that book to our children and they enjoy it and they learn from it and we adults, we might chuckle inside, think this is silly, this is kind of ridiculous, but I wonder if we need a board book to show us how foolish it is look at any created thing to be our God. It is just as foolish for a bird to ask a dog or a car, are you my mother? Beloved, the Lord is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. He is our king and he alone is our creator. But it's not just that he made us. That is a a foremost, a foundational truth, but he made us to be his. He made us to be his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. This God, this king, our creator, is also our redeemer. It would be appropriate for us to know and consider and acknowledge what this means, to not just pass it by, but to ask ourselves, well, 
why do we need a redeemer? And so we can review the gospel once again. The best news the world has ever heard. There are many ways that we can review it today. I'm going to use that gospel acronym once again. If you can spell the word gospel, you can learn a simple summary of the good news. That you can rehearse on your own to encourage your own heart. That you can easily share with someone else who maybe never heard it. But we begin with G. God created us to be with him. God created us to be with him, but we all have rejected him. We have looked to created things to be our God and to bring us comfort. The prophet Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Bible calls this sin. And so, oh, our sin separates us from God. Our sin separates us from, from God. It brings the just punishment of a holy God. S. Sin cannot be removed by good works. You cannot save yourself. You cannot work your way back to God. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's love, to earn his favor. The only remedy is for God himself to save you, for God to send a redeemer. And thanks be to God, he is merciful. He is kind to undeserving sinners, and he did indeed send his own son. So on to letter P, Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. How do we become the sheep of his pasture? Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So how do you enter through Jesus? Letter E, everyone, everyone who repents and trusts in Jesus has eternal life. To enter through Jesus, you must admit that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Confess your sin, ask God to forgive you and trust in Jesus alone. And if you do that, then you will have a life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever, and then you will be his. Always and forever. You will be his people and the sheep of his pasture. No matter what happens to you in this life, no matter how disoriented you may become, this is a foundational truth. Beloved, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. I'm not my own. I belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And beloved, because that is true, it's a foundational truth for your life, no one and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. Christ Jesus himself has made you his own. So nothing, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor debt, nor anything else in all creation can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, know and acknowledge this gospel, the best news 
the world has ever heard. Know and acknowledge it. Consider it to be true. It's the foundation of your life. Consider it with wonder and amazement and praise and thanksgiving. A loud shout. Amen? Well, moving on, we find the next three of the six commands in the psalm in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So the gates and the courts, these are temple words. They're part of the temple complex. It's, it's reminding us of gathered worship. We are commanded to gather together and to worship God. Yes, it's true. We also praise and enjoy and give thanks to God as individuals. We can do that anytime and anywhere, and we do that as God's children. But this song of orientation teaches us that foundational to the Christian life is gathering together with the people of God to praise our God together. There's something unique about that. Something special happens when we come together to join together in God's presence, to bless his name together as opposed to just by ourselves. There's something unique about this that cannot be replicated on your own at home. It can't be replicated through live stream or through our own private prayers and songs. And so we gather together and as we do, we give thanks to God. We praise God and our hearts are recalibrated. Our lives are reoriented once again. This glad thanksgiving and praise, it's the response that is commanded by God, but it is indeed compelled by the love of Christ. We are to enter his gates, his courts. It is his kingdom. And why, or we might say how, could we not enter with thanksgiving and praise? When we realize We are able to be welcomed into his kingdom by the new and living way through Jesus Christ. There is a joy that comes when we know we are welcome into his holy presence. And this joy overflows with thanksgiving and praise to our great God. You know, if you are slow to give thanks, remind yourself today. Remind yourself often of the only reason that you are welcome. The command is enter his gates. The book of Revelation tells us in chapter 21 that nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it. So how can we enter? How can we not only enter but be welcome? We are all born unclean and we live unclean lives. How can a holy God make us clean and welcome us in? John tells us in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Beloved, through Jesus, you are made clean. I wonder if you know the old hymn. Maybe you've sung it loudly at some point in your life. Are you washed in the blood? was written in 1879 by Elisha Hoffman, a Presbyterian minister from Pennsylvania. You might be more familiar with his hymn, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. But he wrote this one, Are You Washed in the Blood? Maybe you remember the chorus. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed 
and the blood of the Lamb. Beloved, if you are, then you can enter his gates with thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. You give thanks to him and bless his name. So I ask each one of you today, if you examine your life, is it marked by praise and thanksgiving to God? Do you enjoy your creator, your king, your savior? Psalm 100 proclaims to us this foundational truth. God's people praise and enjoy and give thanks to God, their creator and redeemer, for he is good. But maybe today your life isn't filled with that thanksgiving and praise and enjoyment that you long for. Maybe something is off. Maybe it's due to suffering. Or maybe it's due to sin. Or maybe it's due to a sense of self-sufficiency. And I think there's two ways that self-sufficiency can show up in your life. You can be a true child of God and, and maybe you're just having a moment of insanity. You're forgetting God living more like a practical atheist. And you have forgotten the God who made you and loves you and gave himself for you. And, and you are temporarily living with this sense of self-sufficiency. You need to be reminded. Return to your God today. Or maybe it's a more permanent state at the moment. Maybe it's due to spiritual blindness and death. The reason you feel self-sufficient is because you do not know God. And you need to have God open your eyes to show you his majesty and glory. You would turn from making gods of his created things and you would know that the Lord, he alone is God. There's a remedy for your experience today. If you're not filled with praise and thanksgiving to God, enjoyment of God, there is a remedy. There's a remedy when something is off in our lives to, to reorient us. It's like a car that's out of alignment. You know, It's not going to fix itself. It's not just going to go away. It'll only get worse. You have to make the appointment. You have to take it to the garage and let them fix it. Well, the remedy today is to turn to God, to see his glory, to trust in him, to meditate on Psalm 100, to know that the Lord, he is God. To know we didn't make ourselves. It is he who made us. We are not our own. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture through the life and death and resurrection of his own son, our good shepherd. He indeed is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, consider those truths and they will change your life. They will lead you to repent of your sin. They will compel you to press on in new obedience. God is good. You don't need to look elsewhere. You don't need to look to his created things. You worship and serve him alone with gladness. They will lead you to put to death your self-sufficiency. As you recognize that you are the creature, not the creator, you need him. He does not need you, and yet, not needing you, he loves you. And he welcomes you into his kingdom. In fact, he gave his own son to make that possible. These truths will comfort you and they will sustain you in your present suffering. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Beloved, the difficulty that you may be facing right now is surrounded by the deeper reality of the goodness of your God. 
God has proven it. He has guaranteed it by sending his own son for you. So that even in the pain of life, we, the people of God, we can lift our hearts and our voices to the Lord. Even if the tears are streaming down our faces because of the pain and the sorrow, we can lift our voices and praise to our good God. And beloved, your pain can never outpace God's steadfast love. It's not a contest. No chance. Your pain can never outpace God's steadfast love. It's like the toddler trying to keep up with the winner of the Boston Marathon. No chance. God's steadfast love will leave your pain and your suffering behind in the dust until it's out of sight, left behind forever in God's eternal kingdom. There will be nothing to hinder your joy, your delight in God. There will be nothing to hinder the joyful noise that you will make. No sickness, no death. No sadness, no depression, no loneliness, no failures, no conflict, no sin, no lament, no disorientation. We will finally together enjoy God's presence as he designed and as he desires. You want to know what that will look like? Let me close by giving you a a trailer, a brief preview of this future glory. It's taken from Revelation chapter 7. John is given this vision and he says after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne, the Lamb himself, will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them. He will guide you, beloved, to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Beloved, you and I, We will join God's people and we will forever praise and enjoy and give thanks to our God. He is our king, our creator, and our redeemer, and he is good. Amen.